every service has just shown me different things about him and I's time together. And uh, it's been different things. And I was tearing up sitting over here just thinking about a moment of being about 20 years old and um, just having great shame connected to my life. And I probably only had shared this with one other person before it and I came down to Dave and he probably doesn't even remember the moment. I just shared uh, with him this thing that just felt attached to me and that I was just concerned about my future with. And he just spoke over my identity in such a way and it was such anointing from the Holy Spirit where in that moment when I talked to him about that and the words he brought, which were from the Lord, just brought great healing into my life. Our senior pastor, uh, I've known him a long time and I've now worked under him for a long time and he has courage and he's noble and he has integrity and he leads in such a way. And if you're not praying for him and leadership, we have to start. And so I just wanna take some time to honor just Pastor Dave and our leadership. If you guys would, please. Um, I'm excited. He, he, he did a great job sharing uh, the apologetics con- conference that's coming. And it's a big deal. It's important. We're commanded in the scriptures to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our minds. And it's through the study of apologetics that we obey that command. We're told in the scriptures to be able to de- defend the faith, to stand firm in what we believe. But along with that, First Peter, he says, we do so in a different way because we're Christ followers. We do so, this is what makes us separate from the world, we do so with gentleness and respect. So we want to be confident, we want to be able to articulate what we believe and why we believe it, because how can people know the truth unless someone tells them? And so if you're a parent, you need to be equipped for this. If you're a young adult, you need to be equipped with this. And teenagers, certainly, we're going to be equipped with this. So it's going to be incredible. Sean's one of the best apologetic instructors in our country. He's from California. He's He's a Calvary guy as well, which is cool. And John Mark McMillan is an incredible worship leader. He wrote songs like How He Loves Us. He wrote King of My Heart. So uh, tickets go on sale for that tomorrow. Please buy one so I don't get fired and, uh, <laughs> and, and come on out. And, and it's going to be it's just such a good weekend. Uh, we're going to be hanging out this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and youth uh, and students, thanks so much for that love. I know you brought it for me this morning. They know that we like to talk and participate. So uh, adults and parents in here, all of us together, uh, please talk and participate with me as well when the timing. Yeah, you got my back. Let's go. Come on. So good. So I have a three-year-old son named Spencer Jax, and this boy is the pride and joy of my life. I treasure this little man. And he's in this phase where in a weird accent, like, like when something's just, he doesn't know what it is, he'll say, he'll go to me, dad, what is that? And I'm like, why are you talking like that? And so we were doing his bath time a few nights ago, and we were playing with some boats. He loves boats. We're singing the song, row, row, row your boat, gently down the stream. Merrily, merrily, merrily. Life is but a dream. Thank you. Good job. And he goes to me, Dad, what is that? And I'm like, what? He's like, what's a dream? And I'm like, oh, great. I don't know. Like, how do I explain to a three-year-old what a dream is? My nana, it's past July, passed away. And she was like a second mom to me, incredible woman. And he loved his nana a lot. He would go to her house uh, to watch Peppa Pig. You guys know about this life? It's driving me crazy. I can't take any more Peppa Pig as a parent. Pray for me. And he would watch Peppa Pig with nana. She'd make him cookies. And 
uh, he began to be aware. He's like, we don't go to Nana's anymore. And so my wife was just teaching him and being with him and saying, you know, Nana, um, she passed away. And she's in heaven with Jesus now because she loved Jesus and she followed Jesus. And so he asked the question, what is that? What is heaven? And so once again, what a huge question. And tonight, I'm going to be studying with you and learning with you an incredible word that is extremely important. We're going to be discussing the glory of the Lord this morning. When we look at that, I ask the question, ask your neighbor, talk to your neighbor, say, what is that? What is the glory of the Lord? This is difficult. Why? Because we have minds the size of soda cans. I am a creation with you attempting to tell you what the creator is like. Some things are more difficult to explain than others. As Spencer came to me and asked me to explain, Dad, would you rather explain what beauty is or what a basketball is? What do you choose, Dad? I'm like, well, basketball, I got this. It's round, it's orange. When inflated with air, it bounces. But the word glory, it is deep, it is complex. However, it shows up 168 times in the scriptures. So with that, we know God is about his glory. And if God is about his glory, then we ought to be about his glory as well. Now, while glory, it may be difficult when left to ourselves, I believe the scripture is going to help bring us clarity on this. So the title of this morning's teaching is called Transformed by Glory for His Glory. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and this is the only verse we're going to live with uh, this morning. Okay, so it's so deep, it's so rich, it's so strong. We'll, of course, have some supporting verses, but just, just don't think we're flying through 10 or 20 verses. We are living at home with this one verse from Paul. It's a letter he wrote about the winter of 56 AD to the church at Corinth. And this entire chapter, it deals with beholding the glory of the Lord. And in this chapter, he's going to compare the old covenant to the new covenant. And he's going to talk to us about the access and the intimacy that we can have with God because of Jesus Christ. So let's read this text together. And your Bibles are on the screen. It says, we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I'm in this text, I'm five words in, and I'm already lost. Together, let's take this apart piece by piece, and then at the end, we're gonna put it all back together and achieve how this transformation comes. So start at the beginning, looking at an unveiled face. What does Paul mean by an unveiled face? He's comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. In this chapter, he's contrasting his new message, which was given to him by Jesus Christ himself, with the old covenant, the old message that Moses had. Under the new covenant, we can now see God's glory clearly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul takes great effort and time explaining that this new message, this new covenant, this new promise, it is a supreme message to the old covenant because we have an access to an intimacy with God because of Christ that Moses himself did not even have. He goes on to compare and show us that God in the Old Covenant, he employed stone tablets for the Old Covenant. But with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, 
we have God himself to show us the new way. The old covenant, the commandments, they are holy. They are good. They are righteous. The problem with them is we are not. They are hard and unbending. But compared to the new covenant with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he is now personal and friendly. The commandments are holy, and they demand perfection. But the Holy Spirit, he does convict. I'm not saying he doesn't convict. He does call, cause us and call us to repent, to change, and to turn, but he shows us there's a better way. He says we can repent. We can turn. We don't have to be because Jesus was for us. The old covenant, it showed us how we are wrong and why we are wrong. We need it today, of course, but the new covenant, the promise of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just show us how we can be made right If you're in here and you don't feel right this morning, Jesus can restore you, desires to restore you. He died to renew you. He doesn't just want us to be right, but he can help us become the righteousness of God himself. We live in a world where people need to know that that you're just not, you're not going to be okay. We don't, we don't, like, like we want them to be okay, but even better than that, you can be made new. We don't have to be so unsure so uncertain, so afraid, so insecure, we can be made whole through salvation that comes from Jesus Christ alone. So going back to the unveiled face reference, we're gonna, we're gonna look at Exodus for a moment. Moses, he would encounter the presence of God, and when he left, there was a measurable, a visible radiance coming from his face. See, We're talking about this unveiled face that we can see God. But Moses, he would go into God's presence with an unveiled face, but when he would come back out because his radiance was blasting off of him, he would veil his face. He would not let the people see this glory because he was showing them you're unworthy of this. The only reason that I can go in is because God selected me. God called me. You can't see what I can see. And the people, what's fascinating, these Israelites, they weren't bummed out about that or disappointed by that or angered by that. They wanted Moses to be the mediator. They feared God, as we should still fear God today, of course. But in this moment, they said, look, we don't want to go into his presence. We can't go into his presence. Moses, you mediate for us and don't even look at us. Veil your face. When we're talking about an unveiled face, we need to realize that that's the old way. Paul's saying that's the old way, that's the old way. It's not just Moses that now can go in to see the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, but we can go in. Can I get an amen, somebody? We can go in with unveiled faces. I'm a corny youth pastor, so I want you to look at your neighbor and say, come on in, the water's fine. We can go in now. It's a literal, Paul's excited, he's ecstatic. This is something amazing. It's like a bride to a groom. The veil is lifted and the two lovers can now gaze into each other's eyes. We don't have to veil our face, no covering. We can behold the glory of the Lord. So now with a little bit of context, let's talk about uh, the glory and how we can experience the glory and behold the glory. Let's look at the word behold. We use the word behold, and when we use it, it's a strong way to describe how we are viewing something. 
It's not simply a peek or an apathetic glance, but it's saying, I am stopped in my tracks and I can't stop staring. It's not a half-hearted attention when we're on conversation with people when we're on our phones. We can do that to each other. We, we can simultaneously both not be giving each other our attention. We're both on our phone talking, not really connecting in this moment. Can I, do this? I can do this with my awesome three-year-old son. He's really into garbage trucks right now. This past uh, Friday, when the garbage trucks came, it was raining out. And when he hears that garbage truck, it's like he's been baptized in the fire of the Holy Spirit. He starts doing cartwheels. He literally kicks his leg like he's some like Russian ballerina. He starts swinging his hair. He's got long hair. And he's like, garbage trucks, garbage trucks, garbage trucks, right? And so I'm like, it's raining. And he didn't care. He just hopped in his stroller. He's like, what do you, so, right? And so I'm marching around the neighborhood. We, it's, we have a, like a mile loop. And the whole time I'm just pouring sweat, getting rained on. He's getting rained on. We're looking at these garbage. He's passionate about garbage trucks. He believes they're most glorious right now. No. We only get that moment on Tuesday and Friday. So the other day is we're watching garbage trucks on YouTube. And so I'm trying to preserve my sanity and I'm trying to like tune out garbage trucks by doing something on my phone, wasting time, I'm sure. And uh, the funny thing is, is when he looks over and sees that, he doesn't appreciate that I'm not beholding the garbage trucks with him, right? He, he climbs up on the couch and he starts going, dad, garbage trucks, dad, garbage trucks, dad, garbage trucks. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're cool, buddy. But then he'll take my face, he'll smush my cheeks together and point it at the TV and go, dad, garbage trucks. And I'm like, all right, man, I get it. You're into the garbage trucks. He desires my attention to be fully in uh, the garbage trucks in this moment. Let me illustrate it further. In January of 2015, the New York Times published an article called 36 Questions to Fall in Love. And in this article, you can be skeptical, I'm skeptical, but psychologists explain that through these 36 specifically designed questions with two-way dialogue and, and intentional conversation that people will fall in love. But that's not the end of it. The final lap of the study includes someone gazing into each other's eyes for a four-minute straight, uninterrupted silence, just looking into each other's eyes. It's not magic. It's not by force, but they're saying that is a way to intimacy. I was skeptical, but my wife and I, we tried it, and we have our, our second son coming January of 2023. <laughs> so something happened. So hard to transition back into a serious moment after that. But... If you seek God in his glory and seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. Let's look at glory. Before we can put all these pieces back together, let's look at that. What is that? Isaiah, he would have the privilege, and I don't know if he literally went into the throne room of God or if God just blessed him with a vision. But he's praying, he's seeking the Lord, and he gets to witness the throne room of God himself. And while he's in there, he sees some things. He sees God. He sees some angelic beings and angels. And then he sees himself. He sees God in his glory. And he sees these being, beings worshiping God. And they are proclaiming this truth. You can read with me on the screen. They're singing. And to this day, in November, at this time in history, this is still happening today. They're singing and proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, God is so holy. He's so great. He's so powerful. He's so wonderful. I believe that we know that he is in a league all on his own and that holiness is now being witnessed by Isaiah. 
He's seeing God. He's seeing how eternally magnificent that he is. And that holiness, it's explaining, is being now blasted out of that throne room into the earth. And it says the earth is full of his glory. That is glory. It's holiness and it's eliteness being recognized and responded to. Paul, you won't have it with me on the screen, but if you'd like to look it up, you can. You might know it. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He talks about the truth that creation, us, the world, everything, it all ought to point towards the glory of the Father. We, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're created in the image of God. He wants people to find him so desperately that he created 8 billion mirrors, you and I, to reflect his glory and point us towards him. Paul is saying in Romans, his glory is everywhere. His invisible qualities, they're there. But in his invisible qualities, he is clearly seen. It says in Romans 1 verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. He's saying you can't miss it. His glory is everywhere through waterfalls, through volcanoes, through tidal waves, through the beauty of childbirth, through every sunrise, we can see that the earth is full of his glory. It's been said like this. You can read to me on the screen. Glory is God's holiness going public. If his holiness is the sun, then his glory is the light. So now let's put it all back together. We talked about unveiled faces. We talked about beholding. We talked about glory. But he's saying with an unveiled face, we can behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed from one degree of glory to another. How do these things come together to create a magnificent revelation? And the original audience, the original hearers of this letter at Corinth, they would understand it like this. You can read with me on the screen. Paul is encouraging them to be contemplating the personal excellence of Christ. This is the practical application that Paul wants the people in Corinth to do, and he wants you and I to still practice today. He's saying, as you behold the glory of the Lord, the personal excellence of Christ, he's saying there's a reaction that's unmistakable and unstoppable. He says that beholding leads to transforming. We were created by God and for God. We were created for relationship, for love, for purpose and mission, to know God and make him known. But as you know him, as you behold him, you will become like him. Because beholding leads to transformation, and beholding leads you and I for us to become who we are, sons and daughters of God. But there is a choice. He has allowed beauty to belong to the eye of the beholder. In Hebrews, we learn that love must be sincere. And in order for love to be sincere, it must have a choice. Therefore, God, he allows beauty to belong to the eye of the holder. See, Paul, he's talking about beholding a glory that's so glorious, you do not stay the same. So when I look at this and I look at my life and I look at my track record, I say, God, why is this not happening? Where's the transformation? God, why has this not happened or why is this not happening? Because I believe God is holy. I believe he's glorious. I, I believe he's worthy. I do know he's the treasure beyond all treasures. I know it and he knows it. But if we don't view him as such, there will be no transformation. 
think about if we were to go to downtown Orlando and downtown Daytona, something I was taught by a teacher growing up is that if you stop and watch a performer that's performing for money, maybe a guitar case that says like tips welcome or something like that, if you stop and watch, like etiquette is you got to throw something in, okay? Now, I think that if our attitude, if we're subconsciously treating God our Father, the Holy of Holies, like some street performer, that we're just simply giving him an apathetic glance, just thinking he wants our tips or our spare change, no transformation will come. That's not beholding the glory. Beholding God's glory only comes when we find him most glorious. Those things don't exist apart from each other. We behold the glory when we find him most glorious. To illustrate, we live on the space coast, which basically means we put humans in rockets and we send them to space. It's so cool. We live in the best area. I'm a native here. I love it here. I like to travel, but I love where I live. See, the wild thing is, most of us don't care. People travel from all over to see SpaceX, to see NASA. We as locals, we get text notifications on our phone. We might get a text saying that there's going to be a controlled brush fire going on in MIMS. And then after that, we hear SpaceX is launching a Falcon 9 between this time and this time. And we're like, blah, blah, blah. We view it all as the same thing. When we're talking about a rocket being launched into space, I got the text yesterday. I was psyched. I was like, I'm washing dishes. I'm going to stop and go do it. But then I just forgot. Because you know what? Really, it wasn't that important to me, apparently. I didn't stop what I was doing. I got distracted. I was unfocused, and I missed it. See, you might be hearing that and being like, look, I just, I, I just am not into that. It doesn't blow my mind. Like, maybe it should. I know it's great. I know it's special. It just, just not, it's not for me, right? On November 16th, 2022, NASA launched the Artemis One. Yeah, you guys are with me. Let's go. Come on. It's a 25-day mission. Total distance traveled, 1.3 million miles. When this thing re-enters on December 11th, we're looking at speeds of 24,000 miles an hour. It's Mach 32. It's the point. It's the point of this rocket that we spent all this money on that we waited and waited and waited for. It's to build a long-term human presence at the moon for decades to come. Does anyone remember what time the launch was? It's one in the morning, maybe 1.40. What was I doing? My, my, my buddies, they were psyched. They were like, we're staying up. Let's go watch this. This is, this is history. And I was like, there is no chance I would ever wake up to watch that rocket. Right? And you might be like, me neither. Me neither. As cool as it is, as great as it is, I'm not into it. Let's, 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 let's help us understand. Jeff Bezos from Amazon says, if, if you got the money, you can come on one of his rockets. $28 million, you go into space. But I'll tell you what, it is nothing like Artemis. It is not the same thing. It's, 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 it's a copy. It's a ripoff. It's not the same. And it still will cost you $28 million. But let's say Jeff's like, you're a good person. I want you to experience this. I'm sponsoring. I'm paying your $28 million ticket. You're coming. You're gone. You're like, got nothing else going on that day. I guess I'll go in your rocket, Jeff. Right? I don't know if you'd call him Jeff or not. Maybe Mr. Bezos. But in that rocket, you're sitting next to Jeff and the Star Trek guy, because I think he went on it too. <laughs> and instead of being in the moment, 
enjoying and beholding the glory of, I am going to space right now. And let's say there was a hypothetical window where you could look out and watch yourself blast off out of the universe. You, instead of beholding the moment and being thrilled, you're on your phone, wasting time, just like I am wasting my time or being distracted by another million things you could give your attention to. How can this be? It's because beauty belongs to the eyes of the beholder. There's the song we know, you are so beautiful to me. Is he beautiful to you? What's wild is he gives us a choice. See, we are transformed into the image of God when we start beholding his glory, not some weak passing glance or acknowledgement, but saying, you are my supreme treasure. John Piper, he explains it like this. He says, the beholding that Paul intends involves the miracle of a heart transformation that sees and savors the glory of Christ as the supreme treasure of life. To behold the Lord as glorious, as supremely beautiful and valuable, that is the essence of transformation. When we see him in his holiness as our supreme everything, when we say, God, you are my all in all, saying you are so beautiful to me, it is then that we are transformed. Let's look at this transformation in the book of Mark for a moment with Jesus. We read in Mark chapter nine, verse two on the screen. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus's appearance was transformed. So what we're seeing, this moment in history that is happening right now is known as the transfiguration. Jesus is there with Moses and Elijah and he brings along his friends, the disciples, Peter, James, and John. And in that moment, they are seeing heaven be connected to earth because Jesus is gonna be the one that builds that bridge of how we can get there, how anyone can come to the Father. And a transfiguration, a transformation took place. But here's what's fascinating. It seems that Peter, a few verses later, he is beholding the glory of the moment and he proclaims, he shouts, he worships. He says, it is good that we are here. He sees this is my king, he's supremely excellent. We learn in Acts, disciples, ordinary men, Acts 4, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They intentionally were pursuing God. They were beholding the glory of the Lord. And there was something different about them. To quote the beauty and the beast for a moment, the candle, he says, I think there's something there that wasn't there before. It's quotes like that, which is why I'm only allowed in here once a year. <laughs> in Exodus chapter 34, we see when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He, I'm not saying we will physically transform. I'm not saying what we won't. But what I'm confident of is that our appearance certainly changes. When you behold God himself, you have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You have a joy that becomes your strength. You have a hope that never fails and you become a non-anxious presence to those around you. Jesus would say in Matthew, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. This change, this transformation in our life is not to draw more attention to us. Although you will feel glorious, 
the change in our life, it in turn will draw more attention to the Father and bring him more glory. And when people see that you're secure in your identity, that you're confident of where you came from and where you are going, when they see that you are resilient, people, the question they will ask, I believe if they're mature enough, they'll ask not how awesome they are. They'll ask who are their parents. Let me explain. As a youth pastor, I, I t- take kids in when they enter seventh grade. And some students are just discipled. They're in love with God. They're worshipers. They're beholding the glory. They're walking in the way of Jesus. And it's not a case of their seventh grade. They've been in my youth group for two weeks and I take credit for being an awesome youth pastor. The question I ask, because I have a three-year-old, is okay, what did their parents do? And how can I learn from that? See, when we are carrying out the callings that Christ has for us, people will be asking, who is their father? Now, I'm a vessel with you as a parent. I'm a partner with you but you're their primary disciple maker and you are following Jesus Christ. You are following God himself. And when you behold his glory, you are conformed into his image and people are gonna say, where are they coming from and what are they doing? Who's raising them? That is why you and I, we must behold the glory of the Lord because a physical transformation, that's not what we're seeking. We're seeking a soul transformation And that comes when you've been with Christ in his glory and you have found rest. When that happens, it's impossible for this change to not be palpable to those around you. When you behold Christ, you are transformed in his image. So I'm looking at this. I'm like, Moses, like, what was going on? How were you doing that? Elijah, what were you doing? Isaiah, how did you come into the presence like that? The disciples, what did you guys do? I want us to understand, Paul's teaching us that transformation, it comes by contemplation. When Paul, when he talks about this transformation, it's the word doxa, which you don't have it with me on the screen, but I'm gonna read it to you slowly. It's the devout contemplation of the divine majesty of Christ. So the question that we have to ask is how do I contemplate the Father in a devout way? And that's where this cliche word we use in the church comes from, our devos. When we do our devos, when we practice the discipline of devotion, that's us saying, I am committed to, with the word of God, contemplating his majesty in a devout way. And we believe certainly when we do that, when we look God, when we behold God, we will become like him. There's creative methods such as the Acts prayer, the Lord's prayer, contemplative prayer. There's liturgy. There's beautiful methods going back centuries to help us, because we need help, to contemplate the nature and character of God. And if you're anything like me, we're, we're, we're nearing the end and we're seeing, I'm frustrated because I'm scared. I don't really know what it means to behold the glory. I get it, but I'm not gonna do it. But I just wanna remind you of the grace of God, the help of God, and the mercy of God that the win is not showing up and inspecting some magical feeling to happen. The win is simply being in the presence of your father. And just remember, sometimes you're gonna get distracted in your pursuits of God's glory. But it's been said, if in a 10-minute prayer time, if you get distracted 100 times, that's 100 times that you get to come back to your father. So give yourself grace in this pursuit. Give yourself mercy in this pursuit, but don't give it up. 
We have to keep on going. See, Jesus, he doesn't just want our disciplines, the vehicles to him, to end at the disciplines themselves. No, he gives us these tools so that we can see God, behold him, and reflect his glory, and then radiate his glory. You're called to do a lot as a person of God. We have godly commands to obey. Called to lead your family well. You're called to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. You're called not just to have children, but to train them. You're called to honor your parents. You're called not to just work, but work as unto the Lord. You're called to be sanctified. You're called every day to look more and more and more like the person of Jesus himself. And these callings, these commands, I think they can overwhelm us. And the problem is, is when we're overwhelmed by them, when we're doing them on our own strength, fear comes in and then we're paralyzed and we don't achieve any of them. So if that's where your frustration is, you're not alone. And God is so good, even if you feel like what I see in the scriptures, even when we feel like we're not pursuing the glory or we can't pursue the glory, God in his grace, his love and his mercy, his glory will come for you. Let's read about this. In Exodus, we can read in verse, or chapter 33, verses 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. But the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses asked, how will anyone know that the people are pleased with me and your, and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is what sets us apart. This is what's gonna set Moses apart. In verse 10, verse 18, Moses said, now show me your glory. And God in his faithfulness comes to Moses and his glory passes by. Anytime we see this word of the glory of the Lord passing by, our ears ought to perk up because something amazing, something tremendous is happening. We can misunderstand this and think that God just, he has to pass by in a hurry because he's got other things to do. No, when the scriptures talk about the glory passing by, it is a mighty moment and transformation always happens out of these moments. Moses, he's tasked with an enormous task. He's afraid. I don't know what you're in here with this morning that you're afraid about. It's legit though, I guarantee that. I got worries, I got doubts, I have fears. Moses, he is fearful. But when we're paralyzed by fear, I want you to know the glory of the Lord is what brings you back out. It gives us the courage to remember that my God is holy. He's greater than my doubts and my fears. But in this moment, I've seen the glory of the Lord and now, now I will go back out and I'll proclaim his glory. I believe even God is so good. He's so faithful. In 1 Kings, we learn about Elijah. Elijah was powerful, a hero of the Old Testament. But it also says that Elijah was a man just like us. It's this incredible story in Kings about him coming against the prophets of Baal, these, these um, just Satan worshipers, these evil and corrupt people group. And he came up against those enemies of God. And in the power of God, he defeated these enemies and he brought glory to God in that moment. But his circumstances get dark. Let's read about that. And then in, when his circumstances get dark, he goes, he runs, he hides, he leaves. This is in verse nine, first Kings. There he went into the cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand in the presence of the Lord for the Lord, this is where our ears perk up, the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, he's just had a mountaintop experience, a win with the Lord. And I think that you and I, we have these checkpoints in our life. We have these awesome moments, but then we get in ruts again and we ask if it was real or if it was true or if it meant anything. But if Elijah went through this, Elijah, then we're gonna go it through, but God's faithful to bring us out again. See, God had had a victory through Elijah, but he takes his eyes off God and he starts to focus on his circumstances just like we all can do. And what do the circumstances do? They leave him depressed, so he leaves. He says goodbye to his friends. He left his community, and he says, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to be not in solitude, which is good. I'm going to isolate myself, which is never good. So God, in his love as our Father, in his faithfulness, comes after him, and his glory passes by. Yes, it was thunderous. Yes, it was loud. Yes, it was magnificent. And it was in glory, but the glory wasn't to scare Elijah. The glory reminded Elijah, God's bigger than my circumstances. He is faithful. And then in that great glory, he didn't approach him in such a way to fear him, but as a loving, gentle father saying, how'd you get here? It's time you come back out. It's time you remember who your dad is. And let's go back out and continue the mission of God. I am everything. Look at all this power I have. You're my child. Now come back out. We see in Mark and the disciples, Jesus went off to practice solitude and silence and communion with the Father. He went off to practice himself beholding the glory of the Lord. And the disciples, when they were alone, we read in Mark, it says that he saw Jesus, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Because they all saw him and were terrified, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. When we see the glory of the Lord, this is why Paul wants us to behold it. When we see it, we know he is with us and we can get back on mission. I don't care how loud the circumstances are screaming at me, the glory of the Lord, when it passes by, I have the courage to continue. In all these instances, God knows he is glorious. He controls the elements. He controls the weather. He controls the outcomes. And there is not a thing in this world that happens outside of his reign or his rule or his control. If you're a native, I've lived here my whole life, or maybe you were here for this time, but from August 13th to September 26th in 2004, we were slammed on this coast by three hurricanes. They were devastating. And we went to retreat uh, from our home to another home in one of these hurricanes. But even in the home that we retreated to, um, it was still became much more dangerous than anyone expected. And I remember in the middle of the night, waking up in the room I was staying in on an air mattress, and my air mattress was practically floating in water. And the winds were so loud, it felt like the roof was gonna be torn off. And what do I learn in these moments? What does the weather teach us? We're weak. We're small, and we're fragile, and we don't have much power. 
But God in his glory, he wants us to know who we worship. And when we behold his glory, we remember he controls all of it. And there is no circumstance in my life that is missed or lost by God, even in suffering and even in calamity. My parents, yeah, you you guys can celebrate God for that, yeah. Even in suffering and calamity. My parents, my dad built that house himself. Had to be torn down. And it wasn't okay. We, we didn't have hurricane insurance. We lost that home. It was, it was a dark season for our family. But God, because he's my father, he promises me in the word of God that he has the power, he has the sovereignty, he has the glory to work all things together for his good and his glory. Somehow, some way, the father does not need us, but he wants us. He wants me and he wants you. We can't add to his glory but he does invite us to share in his glory and he tells you and I to tell other people and share with other people his glory. So I'm gonna invite the man out at this time as we read Colossians together. It says in Colossians chapter one, verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God is about his glory and he wants us to be about his glory. So we must and we can, we have the privilege and the honor to behold his glory. And it's not gonna draw attention to ourselves. We will feel glorious, but we will point back to our father through the way that we live. And we do this through the practices of prayer, the word, being in his creation. And just like we're about to do right now, we behold his glory through worship. So I invite you to stand on your feet at this time. When we seek God in his glory, it requires a great attention, an intentional seeking of him. It's not gonna come if we're apathetic. It's not gonna come if we're half-hearted. He says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So right now, I'm just encouraging us to seek God with all of our heart right now. And you don't have to do this. Me and my students, we do this all the time. You don't have to. But I challenge you, I encourage you, I want you to just simply, all of us together right now, just raise your hands up to the heavens right now. This is how we worship. This is a way that we behold. It's not some physical act that I don't have control over. I can put my hands down right now. Beauty belongs to the eye of the beholder. But this is me simply saying, you're glorious. You are worthy. You are holy. You are in a league all on your own. And I see it and I'm blasting it out with this physical action of surrendering to you, Father God. Isaiah, we just read about in the temple, it says that he saw God and he saw himself. And then he saw what he was supposed to do. And you know what he did? You know what he did? What we're doing right now. He said, here I am. Send me. When we behold the glory, we go from being afraid of God to a child of God, and we become like him, and we're surrendering just like this. I was telling everyone at the last service, because we're doing this at the beginning of the song. Your arm might get tired, and that's okay. Put one arm down, do one of these puppies, right? Then maybe one of these. If you guys ever see me like this, I had both arms up, but it's because my right arm's tired. But we're gonna worship, we're gonna surrender in this time, because God is good, he's worthy, and we see that, and we're responding to it, and this is glory. 